0: Covering meetings and who was elected and who did what was not nearly as important than the trends, the issues, the personalities, the examples of what it's like to live a faithful Christian life.
1: I'm Mitch. And I'm Missy. We're co-workers.
2: He's the boss. And we're married.
1: And she's the boss. Together, we host Good Faith Weekly, a podcast on faith and culture.
2: What could possibly go wrong?
1: Tune in and find out. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Missy and I are going to catch up, and she's got a very special Christmas story she wants to share with you in the introduction. And then later on in the pod, Missy and I sat down with one of our colleagues, Johnny Pierce, who's retiring this year. We have a great conversation recalling his past and all the stories that he's covered throughout his career. It's a delightful conversation that you're going to take uh, listen to. So stay tuned. It's going to be a great episode. Hello there, Missy. Hey, how are you? I'm doing very well. Before we begin, we are one week away, and so I want to say Merry Christmas.
2: Thanks. We're actually inside a week We now. are
1: inside. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It just seems like it's flown by.
2: I know, and I feel like um, we need to address a little bit of our tardiness Yes, we do.
1: Because Uh, the emails have been pouring in, right?
2: Actually, yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, one of them? (laughs) So,
2: yes. I think one other time we've dropped an episode late, and I can't remember what the reason was. It was recently. Right. And so this week or this episode that was supposed to have dropped on Last Friday, Friday yeah. is now being dropped on a Tuesday, which I guess that just puts us in the category of like music stars, right? Because that's when you release new music or books. I don't know. I'll go with
1: that. I'm, oh, like, I'm sure. liking that, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, so yes, we are a little bit tardy with this episode, but I want to just say um, that we want to let our listeners know that our, our media producer, Cliff, uh, lost his mom last week. Yeah. And so with that, you know, life sometimes just happens and our our thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to him and his family. Um, in light of that and, and also just some other, you know, scheduling things we had, we made the decision to delay the release of this episode to give him time with family and and we thought, you know what, our listeners will love hearing from us twice the week before Christmas anyway. <laughs> That's right. So. Yeah.
1: And a lot of our listeners do know Cliff uh, and some of his family members. And, you know, we talk so fondly of Cliff. And I mean, he is our our media producer extraordinaire and makes us better each and every week. But more than anything, Cliff is one of the most genuine, thoughtful, kind generous people that I have ever met and I know that you would echo those words and I know his family and just they're just wonderful wonderful people and there's a reason they are so wonderful and they honored that person last week and that of their mother and so we wanted to respect that and give him plenty of time with his family and as they gathered down in Alabama to to remember her so our hearts and uh, hugs and all kinds of love go to Cliff and his family during this time.
2: Absolutely. So, as we were preparing to record this opening, and I, you and I have also, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, been a little bit in flux. Yes, um, we because have. Because we have moved one child to Boston to start his.
1: I just want to say one big thing. Boy, job after the last two weeks, Santa's got nothing on us. <laughs>
2: A hundred percent. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, he may have a big red sleigh, but we had a uh, a golden Buick lacrosse that's what, 12 years old?
2: <laughs> well, and also, yes, we had broker's fees and oh, ap- my goodness. apartment deposits and first and last month's rent. All those things that, you know what? When you're 22 years old and starting your first job, you don't have that. Anyways, that's a whole nother Long episode. story short. But yes, you are right. Santa's got nothing on us this year. In fact, our youngest son has appropriately coined this Christmas, invest (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: right. Because that's
2: pretty much what we're
1: We're investing in his future. (laughs) Well, um, yes. So
2: anyway, so yes, we moved one kiddo to Boston and then a previously planned visit out to our oldest son in Los Angeles for kind of a Christmas type gathering was already in, you know, in the works. Which I've never had a
1: California Christmas. It was kind of fun.
2: Sure. Yes. No, it was wonderful to see our son. He took us to see some amazing things, but California as a whole is, is, just, or actually Los Angeles as a whole is not my absolute favorite place, but my kids there. So it is automatically by default, my favorite place. True. 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 So we bounced from coast to coast taking care of our kids. Now we're back home and like you have to get in the mode of Christmas, mm-hmm. even though they're not going to be home. So yeah. now we've got to figure out kind of what we're doing. We have no idea. Um, in any case, so I'm going through this morning photos, trying to just look at some memories and try to spark some stories that maybe we could. Always hear, a fun thing to do um, with our audience for Christmas, and um, I do have one for our next episode that's going to be great. But for Can't this wait. episode, what a teaser! Nicely done. For this episode, I just wanted to tell this quick story because it made me laugh when I recalled it of unexpected revelations that happen on Christmas. And for those of you who are parents and may have little kids in the car, no worries. Yeah. This is not that kind of... It's not that kind of Not that kind of, that kind of revelation, yeah. but it still might be a little bit, I don't know. I don't know, maybe... Traumatic? Traumatic for kids.
1: <laughs> Let's just say this. It's going to give the kids sort something of, to talk about with their therapist later on in life. Sort of
2: Christmas-related, <laughs> just because it happened on Christmas, but not Christmas-themed. Okay, so... Our regular listeners may remember us telling some stories about our dog, Lucky, that we had. How can you forget Lucky? Years ago, <laughs> he is the result of my first and only ever conviction in court. <laughs> um, I wish I could remember exactly which episode I told that story on. Maybe we can figure it out and link it in the show notes. Anyway, so this dog, Lucky, that we...
1: Yes, I am married to an ex-con. I just realized that. adopted.
2: <laughs> we adopted from the pound years i don't know early 2000s i guess because it was one of those things where he was uh, about to be euthanized because he'd been there so long and of course you know pulls on our heartstrings the boys wanted a dog blah 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 he's a little beagle so we go adopt him in many ways a great dog oh yeah but we learned very quickly he there was a reason he was in the pound this dog was an escape artist and Mm -hmm. he was you know beagle in the hound family so they follow a scent wherever it takes them you know they just do So, this dog had, even though the boys adored him, we liked him too, had run away, but not necessarily run away. He was just an escape artist. He had, so, you know, according to the boys, he ran away all the time. Yeah. And it was tears and prayers and the boys making signs to put on, you know, telephone poles around the neighborhood. It was just gut wrenching.
1: Real quickly, the craziest time is when he got out of the backyard and was gone for at least a day. And,. We never knew that he knew the front door. Only no. time we saw he saw the front doors was the day he came into the house. But usually stayed out in the back and roamed around there. Well, late one night we get this scratch at the front door, and it's lucky.
2: Yes, he's <laughs> hungry, so he came home after a day. That's the other thing. His dog would eat and eat. And eat. Anyways, so he always came back. Yes, but okay, this story is going to be way too long. Okay, so. It actually happened to be December time when we were in the middle of uh, transitioning. We were looking for a house here in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. move, getting ready to move. And the boys and Lucky, the dog, were staying with my parents while we came up to do house hunting Correct. one weekend. And so while we were here in Oklahoma, I get a call from my father who says, hey, Lucky got out. Right. Because, of course, he did. He said... I don't, the boys are upset. What do you want me to do? I was like, well, I I don't know. I mean, I guess go check the pound. So the next day my dad went and checked animal shelter there in his town. And there sat lucky. He had been picked up apparently. So
1: and we had learned our lesson from your previous conviction.
2: I know. Exactly. Exactly. I didn't want to get convicted again for having a dog and restrained. Because I had shrinks. already been convicted once for this and paid a hefty fine. Anywho. So I told my dad, I said, you know what? Just leave him. Let me think about this for a minute. So you and I talked. And we yes. had just decided that the heartbreak the boys went through every time this happened was so torturous, that we just didn't want to go through it again.
1: We are going to take a stand.
2: We were going to take a stand. And so... To a point. Anyways, so I told my dad, I was like, just leave him there for a minute and let's just go back or you can go back this week and see if he gets adopted. If not, we'll, we will just go...
1: We were rolling the dice. Quote,
2: unquote, <laughs> we'll go, quote unquote, adopt him <laughs> so that we don't have to pay a fine. I don't have to go to court again. Right. So anyways... So the boys obviously were heartbroken because like he had run away yes. and he was lost forever. Yeah, They did not know any of this, any of the behind the scenes. All they knew was that he had run away and could not be found. A few days later, Lucky's gone from the shelter. He's, he's been adopted. There's another sucker some, out there. There's These another guys, sucker yeah. out there. That got him. <laughs> and rest assured, my parents at that time were living in a very affluent area. Lucky definitely upgraded. He's
1: definitely upgraded. Definitely
2: upgraded. Um, so he had been adopted. So that was it. All the boys knew was that he had run away and, and never to be found. Right. Okay, fast forward like 15 years. <laughs> well, because is- I mean, it's just
1: something you don't tell your kids, right?
2: No. No. So this is... Again, the Christmas tie-in here.
1: Yeah. They're adults at this time. So
2: this is a, literally a couple of years ago, probably probably 2019 because it was pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, the boys are home from college. All the family's here. We're doing Having a big great time Christmas gathering. And presents have been opened, and we're just sitting around chit-chatting. And something happens, and my dad <laughs> brings up, oh, yeah, that time Lucky was in the pound, and I didn't get him. <laughs> and the boys said,
1: I mean, what? laser eyes right to you. <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> our boys learned on Christmas <laughs> that their beloved dog had not truly been lost, but had been left. Well, he had
0: been pound.
1: lost, but then he was found. It was biblical.
2: <laughs> okay, it was biblical. There you go. So, anyways, that's the that's the memories I was scrolling through photos that popped in my head of this oh, story of lucky. our poor kids. Um, Yes, learning the true fate of their dog um, at, on Christmas as college kids. Kind of the modern-day equivalent of your dog went to live on a farm, right? <laughs> yeah, that's
1: right. Except, except but in this case, he, he, he went from went, kibble and bits to, to filet mignon. Yes, he likely
2: <laughs> went to live in a mansion. Yes, in a very affluent area. So yeah. Yeah. props to you, Lucky. You upgraded successfully, and our boys are now – thoroughly traumatized by our lies, and have now questioned everything else we've ever told them. <laughs>
1: exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, Mr. you and I get to sit down with one of our colleagues this week, uh, Johnny Pierce. Johnny is retiring here in a week or so, and we're wishing him all the best. And so we get to sit down and talk to him about his decades of being in journalism and the stories that surprised him, that challenged him, And uh, just look forward to sitting down and talking with him, and we hope that everybody enjoys our interview with him.
2: Yeah, Johnny has a long history of writing in print. We finally coerced him into getting on the, the pod, doing some audio recordings, so it's kind of fun to hear him in a different medium.
1: Absolutely. So stay tuned. I've always been struck by the scriptures we avoid reading, the stories we don't want to tell in church. I'm Brett Harrison. That's what you've never read this, a new series from God Knows Where is all about. We'll read from prophets and histories we've hidden from ourselves, even words of wisdom and warning from Jesus that we've likely never heard. As with everything we do here, God knows where this will lead us, but I hope you'll join me. Find God Knows Where on your favorite podcast platform. <laughs> Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly on this episode. We've always got special guests, but this is an extra special guest with us this week. Johnny Pierce is the executive editor and publisher at Good Faith Media. He has been the editor of Nurturing Faith Journal since February 2000. Previously, he was the managing editor of the Christian Index. Johnny announced his retirement earlier this year, which takes effect at the end of this month. Johnny, welcome to Good Faith Weekly, and congrats on the retirement. After two decades, of writing and publishing, you have impacted people's lives and the Baptist faith in tremendous ways. Well done, sir.
0: Well, thank you. I have never retired before, so I don't know how to do this, but I'm trying to prepare myself for whatever is ahead.
2: (laughs) Well, Johnny, if I know anything about you, it is that you are a storyteller, whether that's face-to-face or in written form no one I know or have ever met before matches your ability to always have a great story at the ready in any circumstance. So during our conversation, we thought we might just kind of take a little walk down memory lane and ask some specific questions for you about your time as a storyteller, which will not end with retirement, I know. So my first (laughs) question that I want to ask is, what was one story you covered that changed you more than others?
0: doing uh interviews it's funny that you would say storytelling because that's the way I think of doing interviews and people um often I will uh do ask someone if I can do a feature story or do an interview with them and the thing I appreciate most is when they tell me hey you're asking questions other people have not asked or you you understand this a little better or if I write a feature story and the uh, person I've been writing about has said, oh, our organization's been covered in the media many times, but you're the one that gets it. And so trying to tell those stories accurately and with a different angle, uh, it's been something I've really enjoyed doing. The one that comes to mind that uh, had an impact on me was an opportunity to interview Vincent Harding. And he was a co-worker in the civil rights movement and also a biographer of Martin Luther King Jr. He's died in recent years, but uh, Dr. Harding was he spent his latter years at Atlanta University Center, Morehouse College, doing some uh, research there. And um, someone I know from Americas, Georgia, uh, Kirk Lyman Barner, was working on a project for Koinonia Farm. This was in 2012, I believe. And the project was uh, a symposium on Clarence Jordan that marked the 100th birthday, what would have been the 100th birthday of Clarence Jordan, the founder of Cornelia Farm. And Kirk was talking with Clarence Jordan's son, Lenny, who mentioned to him that Clarence and Martin Luther King Jr. had only met one time, and that story had never been told. Wow. So uh, I was thrilled when Kirk said, hey, will you do this interview with Dr. Harding, and I'll videotape it for the symposium. And so we met at Morehouse College at the library there, and it was just remarkable to talk with uh, Dr. Harding about that Occasion, it was in December 1961 at a physician's home in Albany, Georgia. People in South Georgia call it Albany, Georgia. (laughs) And Clarence Jordan and Martin Luther King Jr. met. And the line that struck my attention most was Dr. Harding said they had loving respect, but clear disagreement. And so I made that the title of the article, and what they disagreed on was boycotts, because Martin Luther King Jr. had used boycotts effectively, you know, starting or maybe not starting with, but uh, most well known for the Montgomery bus boycott, but they boycotted grocery stores and all sorts of things as a major tool for civil rights. Clarence Jordan and Cornelia Farm was on the receiving end of boycotts because the local business people would not buy their products nor sell them the farm products they needed. In fact, they had to turn uh, to mail order business to succeed because uh, that's federally protected. So all their uh, pecans and peanuts and things that they sold, fruitcakes, they could sell through the mail. They had a great slogan. It was called, help us send the nuts out of Georgia. (laughs) uh, I can assure you that they haven't shipped all of them out. But that was just a remarkable story because not only those two people that I respect so much um, who had a common goal, but they were comfortable disagreeing in a way uh, that was respectful. And I think that's a lesson that I always need to learn and perhaps others do as well
1: well john you have you have interviewed and covered presidents denominational leaders lay leaders politicians i mean you have been doing this for so long and have talked to so many people and the one question I have for you is that, is there a particular interview that got away that you wish you would have pursued or would have been able to sit down with and and talk to an interview and write a story about them? Or is there a particular topic that you wish you would have covered more?
0: Well, I always wanted to interview John Grisham after he spoke Ah, at the uh, uh, Baptist, uh, New Baptist covenant gathering, because I could tell he was one of us and I got close And uh, he ended up sending the message that he was becoming a a hermit and didn't agree to do it. And uh, that was the one thing that I I think I really wanted. Uh, The other thing that I kind of lost was I did an interview back to Cornelia Farm with Millard Fuller and recorded it and we walked around and went out to the shed writing shed where Clarence Jordan had written and all this. Shortly after that, uh, my father had died and I'd gone back for a funeral and I accidentally threw some a book or something into recorder that that uh, caused the um, uh, tape to uh, record. I was actually I could hear the morning show I was watching on TV on there <laughs> instead of the interview. So I had to reconstruct that story rather than it be as much verbatim. So that's one thing. Okay, great.
2: What about a topic? Is there a topic you wish you'd covered more?
0: Um. I don't know. I can't think of anything that. uh, I mean, come on! You wish you would
1: have given a little bit more attention to the Southern Baptist Convention turmoil, right? I was going to say, absolutely not. Uh, And
0: you know, that's an interesting that's an interesting thing that you bring that up because you know I went to work, came out of my campus ministry career into journalism by working at a state Baptist newspaper where almost all of our content uh, had to do with uh, Southern Baptist life. And then when I moved to Baptist Today in 2000, there was still some of that going on. But I had a real idea of shifting because I realized that covering meetings and who was elected and who did what was not nearly as important to me nor to our readership than the trends, the issues, the personalities, the examples of what it's like to live a faithful Christian life, and particularly in the Baptist tradition. So that was a real conscious effort to move away from that institutional kind of coverage to covering the trends and issues and things that I believe impact individual faithfulness as well as congregational life.
2: So, Johnny, sort of along those lines, what story or or topic over the years did you get the most pushback on and as someone who monitors our um company email addresses i might could also
0: (laughs) contribute to that conversation i I would welcome you suggesting what those those might be uh you can't be in this work without having pretty thick skin Mm. and so uh I don't get my feelings hurt when someone disagrees with me. If I hear from someone that's um sent something anonymously, I ignore that. Or if they send something, I guess one of the things that's always been frustrating is when people read something into your piece that you didn't say. Right. And I'm like, you know, just just read it. (laughs) Just just read it. I sometimes joke, and I'm only partially joking, that whenever we lose a subscriber, I blame it on one of my colleagues for writing something. (laughs) But when Bruce Gorley did his series for us on uh, the Civil War at 150 years, Bruce did all, he he let the people of the time speak. It was in their own words. So Bruce wasn't given his opinion of this, he was saying, on this day, this 150 years ago, here's what the pastor of so-and-so Baptist church said in some Baptist association. And I started getting notes from folks about, this is divisive, or why do you have to bring this back up? And I jokingly said to Bruce late in the series, uh, you better turn this thing around because if the South loses, we're going to lose subscribers. <laughs> and I thought I was joking, but near the end of this series, I got a long letter from someone, unsurprisingly from – Charleston, South Carolina, telling me that he was dropping his subscription because we blamed the Civil War on slavery.
1: Ah, Oh my goodness. Wow. Wow, That's amazing. Uh, so Johnny, I mean, again, you've talked to so many people. Has there been an interview in your career that was really surprising to you that, you know, you walked away thinking, wow, I didn't expect that.
0: Yes. Um, I started getting nice notes from a woman in Alabama named Ruby Wilkins. She was pastor of a very rural church. And she would send me these notes engaging whatever topics we were discussing. And so I asked to come see her. And it was just magical. I drove over from Georgia and just over the line to Wadley, Alabama, and I drove up in this little white church with a cemetery out there. And the windows were open and the front door was open. It was a beautiful spring day. And as I walked up the steps, I could hear her playing the piano, the only person in there. And I walked in. I startled her. She's a little woman. And she, uh, we sat on the front pew, and she talked about her calling, about how she had raised these children, then took care of her husband who had... Alzheimer's and showed me out the window where his where his grave was and she talked about how she was called to ministry but didn't know how to respond to that call and felt a lot of opposition but she eventually became pastor and I believe she was the first Southern Baptist pastor in Alabama. but my favorite line was something she said about uh, I'm a woman, God called me to ministry, but I'm a woman. But God knew that when I was called.
1: I love that
0: she was just remarkable—a remarkable woman. So I had no idea what to expect. But I remember driving away, just thinking, "Wow, how is this happening with this person in this place?" And there were the wonderful little things she said. Now, don't put this in the story. Now, some of the pastors in the Baptist Association who voted against me and criticized me. They'll call me sometimes to ask me about a verse in the Bible they don't understand. <laughs> it's all those kinds of little, you know. Don't put this in the story, but it's it right. funny stuff. It's right. A remarkable woman and wow. a su- surprisingly good day.
1: That's amazing. So, so over the years, Johnny, what has brought you the most joy?
0: It all has to do with uh, relationships, I would say, the most joy of, of being able to get to know people who are simply remarkable. I'm amazed when you look at our readership and people we have the opportunities to work with and serve with and on boards. I mean, just gifted, gifted people who who value this work. And uh, I grew up in a very blue collar, nurturing kind of community but I wasn't exposed to the diversity of people that I've had the chance to get to know with just remarkable gifts. And I'm humbled sometimes when I look at these people and I see what they've accomplished in their lives and think that somehow they're drawing strength in their faith life for what we do. So that's really been the best part. Wow. So
2: Johnny in your final column as editor of nurturing faith journal, which is titled my last words for now, You asked many questions, such as, did I speak truth when it was unpopular but needed, and did I use my privilege and power to give voice to those who are hushed or struggling to find words? However, probably the most intriguing question I thought um, involved your daughters. You imagined a future after you departed this world and someone found your writings and asked your daughters, was this your dad? what do you hope they say and what do you think they will say?
0: Well, we'll have to ask them what they, what what they may say. (laughs) Uh, I certainly can't speak for them, but I I said that because I recognize we all have blinders and I look back on my life and I thought, man, I wish I'd noticed earlier on this particular situation where I could have been more inclusive. And so Realizing that we all have these blinders uh, from times in our life when we weren't quite as aware of what we needed to be. So I'm hoping that in my writings that uh, whatever time this is down the road that – my daughters might look at that and if not being proud, at least not be embarrassed by the fact of, of, of where I stood when it comes to those issues of, of truth and justice and equality that I was on the right side.
1: Well, after working with them uh, to Uh, to to create your retirement party this last summer, I can guarantee you they are so proud of their dad. Uh, They just think the world of you.
0: Well, Uh, I'm proud of them.
1: (laughs) Well, Johnny, it's been a great career, but we know as we have gotten to know you over the years that you're not going to be able to sit still. We know that you're going to be on a hiking trail somewhere, but you're going to continue the work that you have established with Jesus Worldview. So tell us a little bit about what's next uh, on the horizon for you.
0: Yeah, I am trying to make very few commitments that take place after January 1. So when someone reaches out to me, hey, will you help me with editing a book or help me do this? I always say, yeah, or get back to me in January. Let me see how things are. Uh, I've been working in some capacity since I was a teenager. I've never been in a job that allowed for a sabbatical or taking more than a a week or maybe a week and a half most vacations. I don't know what that's going to be like. So I'm trying to protect some of that. I do look forward to doing more hiking. Uh, I want to be a volunteer in several different areas. I'd like to take a a class of something I feel like I missed out on. There's Ah. a college next door to where we live and uh, I'd love to take an astronomy class, for example, or something I didn't take in college. So those are things down the line. But uh, being able to continue the Jesus Worldview initiative is something I look, look forward to doing, and I'm grateful that Good Faith Media is allowing me to, to do this. The Jesus Worldview initiative was not planned. It emerged organically out of uh, writings and retreats and all that, that we have done, and there's still interest in that from people. What I think I have done pretty well over the last few years with this is to articulate the Jesus worldview. But I think there's a need to further apply that to congregational life. So one of the things I hope to do in this part-time role with the second iteration of this is to find more ways of providing resources to get this into congregational life where it can really, really make a difference. So I'm grateful that Belmont University, through the Reverend Charlie Kerb Center for Faith Leadership, led by my longtime friend John Roebuck, has invited uh, me to place the Jesus Worldview Initiative within that group and they're providing not the financial support for this, but very, very important infrastructure, including handling gifts and you know handling finances overall and helping me uh, do some workshops and things like that. So I, I'm looking forward to um, being able to carry on this uh, ministry and mission in, in whatever ways it might, it might take place.
1: Excellent. We can't wait to hear more about it. And uh, we've, just love learning more about the Jesus worldview. It's just an incredible concept that uh, that you came up with, and uh, we're just we're glad to be a part of it. So, uh, looking forward to the future. Well, Johnny, you are a dear friend, a dear colleague. Thank you so much for all that you have done to help create Good Faith Media. Missy and I just adore you. Uh, can't wait to to hear what's next uh, on the horizon for you. Uh, but before we let you go, we've got one last question for you.
2: So, Johnny, as you are well aware and helped come up with, (laughs) our tagline (laughs) at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of your work over all of these years, our conversation today and what lies before you, what is your more to tell?
0: That there's always someone out there who's hearing or reading what we are saying and are considering it for the first time. So often, we don't know whether those words are making a difference. But then all of a sudden, I'll have someone send me a message or whatever and say, this made a difference. And there are a lot of people out there. I was sorting my books the other day, and in light of uh, Rosalind Carter's death, was paying particularly attention to uh, the books by the Carters that I have. And this note fell out of one of the books that was from President Carter to me, saying how proud he was of our publication. And he used the line, it is a top priority on our reading list. Hmm. And then he signed it, in Christ, Jimmy Carter. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, in Christ. Some people use that in ways that I think no... <laughs> uses in a way that I go yes. So to think that not only people of that notoriety value what we do, but there are other people out there all over the place um, who may read something we write or may hear something we say. And it makes a really significant uh difference in their life. So I think it's important to be faithful to that testimony uh, and, and not give up not be discouraged by what we see around us.
1: Final words from Johnny Pierce, and they are very wise. Johnny, thank you so much for being a guest this week on Good Faith Weekly. Missy and I wish you the very best and happy retirement, my friend.
0: Well, thank you. And the same to you. And I look forward uh, down the road. I want to give Craig Nash, new editor, a lot of space, but I look forward to opportunities to collaborate in the future.
1: I don't know about you Missy. It's always a joy to sit and just listen to Johnny tell stories and visit with him.
2: Absolutely. I'm just so grateful for him and others, you know, like him who during a time when it was very difficult to do so made decisions based upon their convictions and what, you know, was I would say was right side of, right. of history to to continue to write and to communicate in such a way that advocated for, for freedom and inclusion, and um, those values that we hold important.
1: Yeah, and as a young journalist, uh, we often forget that he had to make those decisions in the height of the turmoil within the Southern Baptist Convention, and, uh, you know, he paid a price for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we are thankful to him and to so many others who took that stand and continue to do so even today. They have inspired us to do what we do.
2: Yeah. And I think what people don't realize maybe who just hear snippets and headlines on the news is, uh, you know, a lot of those big name pastors um, or religious kind of figures who have gone the way of more fundamentalist ideology, um, you know, did so not necessarily out of conviction, but because they, you know, knew the way the tide was turning and what was going to be the safer choice and more lucrative choice. Mm -hmm. And so I just really appreciate Johnny and others who, who kind of made made the right decision. I
1: really appreciate the fact that you waited through that, not mentioning anybody's names like Al Moller or anybody <laughs> like that. So well done. Good job.
2: I wasn't going to call anybody <laughs> out by name, but you, I'll let you do that. Oh, so. oh, I'm
1: sorry. I didn't mean to. <laughs> so
2: yeah, so we appreciate Johnny and others who did um, stand by just what they felt was the right thing and, and have enabled us to continue work.
1: Absolutely. And if you want to continue to support Good Faith Media, as well as uh, honor Johnny Pierce and all that he has done through his career there's an opportunity for you to do so. We have the Johnny Pierce Endowment Fund, and we would want to encourage you to give a gift in honor of Johnny or an estate gift in the honor of Johnny. We would love to make certain that his hard work and convictions continue to play out in the life of Good Faith Media and Nurturing Faith Journal. Uh, It's a great opportunity for you to honor him and make certain that that work continues. So uh, take a look at it. at uh, goodfaithmedia.org.
2: Absolutely. And be sure to listen again this Friday. Yes. Double episode episode. for us. Um, We have a really special little snippet, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, going through Christmas memories, trying to to find some things to talk about. And I have something really... Special to share with our audience the the you know Friday going into Christmas. So yeah,
0: absolutely. Be
1: sure and take a listen. So we hope that you're not too busy this week. Enjoy the holiday, but I know you got last minute shopping to do, last minute services to prepare for and get ready for. So we hope that you have a relaxing week leading up to Christmas, and we will be back this Friday. Absolutely. You've been listening to Good Faith Weekly, hosted by Mitch and Missy Randall. This weekly podcast from Good Faith Media discusses matters of faith and culture.
2: Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and give us a like and a glowing review. We produce the podcast out of Norman, Oklahoma. Our music comes from Pond 5.
1: And we're supported by listeners like you. Learn more about us at goodfaithmedia.org.